every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Shane Van Gisbergen now leads the supercar standings by a whopping 500 points, courtesy of a pair of wins at the Sandown Super Sprint. Will Davison broke Triple Eight's Sandown winning streak on the Saturday with a dominant performance before Van Gisbergen hit back with two wins on Sunday. Declan Fraser won the opening Super 2 race before Matt Payne triumphed in a wild second race, while Dylan O'Keefe won one Carrera Cup race to Aaron Love's two. Michael Massey is set to return to the Supercars fold with the top job on the Supercars Commission. The former Formula One race director is the favourite to replace Neil Crompton as the chairman of the commission, and he's also been nominated to join the South Australian Motorsport Board, which will control the Adelaide 500. We'll have more on that later in the pod. Supercars title-winning engineer Grant McPherson is set to shift from Walkinshaw Andretti United to Grove Racing next season, where he will be reunited with fellow ex Eight man David Couchy. He won't have to serve any gardening leave due to the shift to Gen 3. The relationship between supercars and Australian superbikes looks set to expand next season with not one but two shared bills. ASBK is expected to once again join supercars for the Darwin Triple Crown, while a second appearance for the bikes at Sydney Motorsport Park is very much on the cards. Bring back the Sandown 500. That was the call from a number of leading supercars drivers over the Sandown Super Sprint weekend, with the likes of Will Davison, Chaz Mostert and Jamie Winkup all supporting a return of the pre-Bathurst Enduro. Grove Racing has locked in its Bathurst 1000 lineup with Matt Campbell to partner David Reynolds and Matt Payne to partner Lee Holdsworth. The team had previously indicated that the pairings would be the other way around. And the Trans Am Flexi Bodywork saga has been resolved after rivals noticed the rear windscreens were bending at speed on the GRM-run Mustangs at Queensland Raceway recently. Both TA2 and Trans Am have now changed their technical regulations to ensure all roof struts are properly tightened. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate who's known to have a loose strut or two, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you this week? I'm very well, Andrew. That was one of your best intros yet, which uh, bodes well for a good show. I do feel that we should uh, declare early here that we are recording this at 6.30 in the morning yep. due to your travel plans. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I didn't actually know there was two 6.30s in a day, so uh, we're in uncharted territory here. It is uh, it is a little bit different, but that's all right. We're gonna uh, we're going to press on. I wish this hotel room had some instant coffee somewhere, but it doesn't. So we're we're going to get through it. Oh, we, uh, no. it it's going to happen. It's all good. Look, let's uh, let's start off by having a chat about the Sandown Super Sprint. Um, 
not necessarily the most spectacular racing of the season, uh, but an interesting weekend all the same. We really expected it to be a triple eight cakewalk, and on the surface of it, you know, two wins for Giz, a five hundred point series lead, it kind of suggests that's the case. But in reality, you know, DJR put up a much better fight than I certainly expected. Um, that was an amazing win for Davo on the Saturday, uh, and you'd think if he, if he'd been able to hold off that early charge from Giz in Sunday's second race, he probably had the pace to win that one too. Um, Stefan, what did you make of it? Does that DJR showing at a Triple Eight stronghold give you some optimism that the gap truly has been bridged to some extent? Well, it was a surprise to me as well that DJR appeared to have the fastest car. Like really, Will Davison was the man to beat all weekend, even though yep. he only won one of the races. And I found it interesting that, you know, both at the Bend and Sandown, it was a little bit against the form book of those circuits in previous years. But that said, like, obviously the Triple Eight cars were still very good on the whole. Like, we saw what we expected in terms of Brock Feeney running better and yeah. a customer team like Team 18 up there as well. Um, so, yeah, they, they probably maybe didn't execute the whole weekend perfectly on that 97 car but they still won two races and extended the points lead. So I think for me, the highlight of the weekend was that big fight between Will and Shane at the start of the last race. Like Shane said afterwards, he knew he had to either win the start or make a move early on Davo to, to win the race. That two wide across the top of the hill was pretty wild, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it was awesome. It was awesome. And there was, you know, that's what I mean. There was, it was genuinely a tussle between those guys and particularly, you know, I referenced it last week. If you look back to, how much DJR struggled there, you know, in terms of, you know, in the context of what we expect from them at, you know, at Sandown last mm. year, it, it was a remarkable turnaround. There's actually some interesting comments coming up later in the pod from Jamie Winkup about why he thinks DJR has bridged the gap. I won't spoil it all, but basically he says that, you know, it's Triple Eight that's done the absolute majority of the Gen 3 development, even though DJR is also a, a homologation team. Um, and that's sort of, they've taken, that's taken some focus off the race program, which is an interesting theory, really. Yeah, well, essentially, the core of the Gen 3 project was awarded to Triple Eight by supercars, wasn't it? Like, in terms of designing the Gen 3 chassis and all of that under the skin stuff, it's been Triple Eight's baby. And their technical director, Jeremy Moore, has been in charge of designing it and redesigning it where necessary, we might add. But uh, now, now they're in the process of building eight chassis from scratch at Triple Eight, including those for Team 18 and, and Premier. So that's a that's a big job too, and they're well into that. DJR, as you say, is the Ford homologation team, so they've had input and done the work on the Mustang body and so on, which they're about to change over to the new model, evidently. But they've not had anything like the workload that Triple Eight took on. So in one way, I'm not surprised if it's drained Triple Eight a bit, but, I mean, that's the business they're running. It's an engineering firm first and a race team second. Yep. Like, it's it's always been like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the Davo cabin fire on Sunday was an interesting one too, Stefan. Um, it's particularly interesting how he basically jeopardised his health to avoid prompting a red flag and losing his best lap. I'm not sure there's a solution to that, but it's an interesting side effect to the rule, right? Yeah, I mean, Davo literally said he'd rather not breathe than cause a red flag, which was a pretty alarming sort of statement. But it was just an amazing, like, circumstance overall, like, for that situation to go from is the car out for the day sort of thing to resetting the lap record, like, 15 minutes later and getting pole in that second session. So the detail of what happened was quite interesting, I thought, too, because it kind of shone a light on a part of the cars that 
doesn't normally get talked about very much. Like, as the team explained on the day, when the mechanic pulled the power cable out of the car in pit lane, the insulation inside the connector came with it. Like, that was the root cause of the issue. And the interesting part here is that, as with a lot of things in these current cars, the teams make their own wiring harnesses and there's freedoms to do things their own ways. So the power cable that we're talking about, the primary function of that during a session is to just download the info from the data logger and the ECU. Like some plug directly into the data logger and some like Triple Eight have a cable that gets the data and hooks up their intercom system at the same time. But with DJR, and I'm told they're the only ones who have this and they've had it for a few years, they also use that one power cable to charge the car's battery so it's all done through that one connector, which is that military-grade autosport connector that they have in the window just above the air spike. Mm-hmm. So every time they plug in, that battery is getting a little top-up. But without that insulation in the connector, when the car started going over the bumps and what have you when it went out on track, you actually had positive and negative charging pins touching each other. So that's obviously that's obviously a big problem, and that's yeah. why part of the wiring loom got fried and the battery did as well in such a spectacular way. So the way they had it all wired up on a layover loom meant the rest of the loom was totally fine, which is the bit that surprised, I think, everyone watching. So they were able to just replace the battery essentially and just send it then in that second session. So I'm sure they'll be looking hard at why that connector failed. Yeah. Like all components have a lifespan, right? So you can imagine that pulling that in and out every time the car comes in a pit lane, it's going to fail at some point. But anyway... Full credit to Davo, as you said, from the top, like to bounce back straight off that and, and get that pole was was amazing considering it would have been pretty unpleasant in that car. Oh, yeah. No, that wouldn't have smelt very good at all. Uh, let's move on to the news, and there is plenty of it around, I'll tell you that much. Um, it looks like we're going to be adding another 2 by 4 round to the schedule next year with Superbikes uh, joining supercars in Darwin and at Sydney Motorsport Park. Um, Superbikes officials met with Supercar CEO Shane Howard at Sandown, and my understanding is that that is what they are working towards. I think this, this format is a beauty. I think ASPK is a great addition to the schedule in Darwin. Stefan, your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's good. I mean, it provides something different on the support card. Uh, I think doing it at Sydney would be good in terms of having that, you know, that connection back to the Winfield Triple Challenge events of yep. the 90s. Um, they've really made a big thing of that in Darwin, you know, running cars, bikes and drags at the one event. Um, they've done that quite well. So, yeah, to see bikes also in, at the Sydney event would be would be good. Yep, absolutely agreed. Uh, in other news, Grant McPherson is set to make another move and join Grove Racing next season. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, he'll be reunited with David Couchy, another ex Triple Eight man. Um, now, WAU has clarified to me that there will be no gardening leave required, given the cars are changing so significantly next year anyway. So there's not all that much that can be learnt right now that's going to be all that relevant at a new team next year. Stefan, we know the Groves are here to play for keeps and that they see Gen 3 as a chance to, to become a powerhouse. This surely is another move in that direction, right? Well, for sure. Like they're not messing around when it comes to recruiting uh, high-profile people, and and it's people that that make these cars fast. At the end of the day, um, it does sound like a fairly harmonious split here between Shippy and Walkinshaw. So, yeah, no gardening leave, and it's it's very different to how Triple Eight handled Couchy's move to Groves. Um, that wasn't too long ago, but I think the main point is that it's just a great opportunity for Shippy to be the technical director of a team. 
Yeah. So I'm not surprised it's it's happening. I mean, it made total sense a couple of years ago for him to go from a race engineer role at Triple Eight to go and be the technical director at Walkinshaws. But Carl Foe was already there in that role. And even though it looked like for a while Carl was going to go and work for supercars full time, that didn't end up happening. And Shippy's kind of been there sort of second in charge in the structure. And then he's been put back onto race engineer duties on sort of like a spot fire basis, like trying to help Bryce Ford, now trying to rescue Percat season. So it's sort of not really been the career progression that it looked like being. So, yeah, um, yeah he, he's going to get that opportunity now at Groves to actually be a technical director. Yeah. All right, let's get into the big news that emerged over the weekend. Former F1 race director Michael Massey is returning to motorsport and will in the not-too-distant future be named as the new chairman of the Supercars Commission, uh, despite some incredibly erroneous reporting on a well-known Aussie motorsport website over the weekend. It is a thing that's in the works, pending approval from the teams. It's one of two jobs he looks set to take alongside a position on the South Australian Motorsport Board. Um, back to the Supercars Commission, Michael will effectively replace Neil Crompton, who left the post at the end of June. Interestingly, Stefan, it's become quite clear that Neil didn't walk from the role. He was pushed from the role. He was pushed out by influential people who wanted to have Michael in that role instead of him. I can tell you that Neil isn't overly impressed with how this whole thing has played out, although in conversation um, over the weekend he did tell me that you know he believes Michael is capable of doing the job and doing it very well, so there's no actual ill feeling being directed at Michael himself. Um, Stefan, what's your take on all this? Firstly, on Neil being basically knifed from the role, and secondly, on what Massey can bring with his return to supercars. Yeah, I mean, firstly, just just putting the circumstance aside to a second for a second, I, I think um, it is a big win for supercars to have Michael Massey part of the fold. I think I want to sort of address that first. Like, forget what happened in Abu Dhabi and all the politics of, of that. Like, he's a world-class motorsport administrator. And basically, it's a stroke of luck for Australian motorsport that we that we have him back. Um, I'm not surprised there was a big push to get him in, but the fact it's come at Neil's expense in this way is certainly very uh, unfortunate, I think, to say the least. Neil obviously has a lot of roles in the sport from the TV stuff that we all see to the commission, category management through like the 286 series with his airtime um, business and various other things. Like he's got such a broad skill set, so much to contribute in so many areas. And it, it sounds like this has kind of been used against him in a way if the suggestion that the excuse to oust him has been based on him having too many other interests. Yep. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's fairly accurate. Look, I, I do feel for Neil with the way this has played out, obviously, but at least it's a really good appointment. You know, motorsport is a unique business and it requires people in those positions that know how it works. And Michael is remarkably smart and he knows both motorsport and supercars. So, yes, taking the emotion out of it, it's a very, very good thing um, for our championship as far as I'm concerned. Um, the SA Motorsport Board appointment is an interesting one too because I think given Michael's international credentials it's a pretty clear sign that the buck isn't necessarily going to start and finish with the Adelaide 500 in terms of what that group wants to achieve I think there are um, there are other things on the horizon there yeah but it's a good example then too of like whoever's in that role is probably going to have multiple roles and interests elsewhere too so um, exactly yeah yeah yep, for sure no no there's there's a lot of politics at play with this one and you can draw some some fairly clear lines between uh, some people with former relationships and stuff. But, yeah, look, it's it's 
if you take all of that out of it, I think this is a, an amazing appointment for the Supercast Commission and it's a very positive thing for our sport. Stefan, we spoke about it last week, but there was a real groundswell regarding the return of the Sandown 500 over the Sandown weekend, much more than last year, which I guess is because of the time of year. You know, last year Sandown was very early in the calendar and because we had that co-driver session on Friday, like it really felt like we were at the Sandown 500 right up until Saturday morning when the co-drivers kind of all disappeared. Um, there were some very interesting comments from Garth Tander on the Friday evening about how only having the one enduro is a huge advantage to the teams that can afford to have co-drivers of the calibre and experience of him, basically. Um, and it's incredibly unfair, was the quote he used, on young drivers trying to break into the sport through the enduros, which has been traditionally how you do that. Um, do you agree with what Garth was saying, Stefan? Yeah, I think for sure. Like um, having an experienced co-driver is is important if there's only one enduro, if, you, if everyone's going into Bathurst cold. And even just on the weekend, I mean – you had some co-drivers like Garth doing meaningful setup work for their main driver in, in yeah. practice two, one of only two practice sessions on Friday. And there's other other blokes having their first ever drive in a main game session. Um, yeah. So they're probably not contributing too much to the to the car's weekend. So yes, on that side, uh, at the same time, I think it's kind of been unfair on the likes of Garth that there's only one enduro because if he'd retired a few years earlier, you know, you'd, you'd have three endurance races a year, three times to race the cars and and earn more money out of it too. So only one enduro is on the whole a bad deal for pretty much everyone except if you're a team owner looking to do a bit of penny pinching on budgets. And as you said, like the fact that the co-drivers were all there and it wasn't the Sandown 500, it kind of added insult to injury, the yep. fact that uh, – yeah, they all, all went home at the end of Friday. So yeah. they uh, absolutely need to bring the 500 back next year. But the one thing that I would like them to avoid is running it on the last weekend of the footy season when there's 90,000 sports fans at the MCG watching Carlton and Collingwood. I don't think yeah. that scheduling uh, worked out too well for them either. No, no, not all. Although I have to say the crowd was pretty good. At, well, it felt like the crowd was pretty good at Sandown um, over the weekend. Um, but yeah, look, uh, it was Chaz Moss that made the point in that same press conference that Garth Tander was speaking in that he sort of feels like we've forgotten what our what a normal calendar could look like. You know, we went through all that with COVID. We stripped it all back because we had to do that. But we've sort of forgotten that there should be three endurance races. There should be an enduro cup. It gives the team something to work towards. Even if you're not having a great season, you go, well, we can put our eggs in that basket and see if we can still salvage something from this year. Um, and he said, look, I just want to make sure we, we, we remember that's how this sport is meant to work, which I think was a really good point. That's well. such a uh, such a wall control driver thing to say, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, well, obviously, we're, we're lucky enough to now have these street race events back and yeah. and going to all the places like um, Perth and New Zealand and everything mm-hmm. like that. It's it's the one piece missing, isn't it, to get back yeah. to this proper enduro swing? Yep, let's get it done. Well, while I was at Sandown on the weekend, I grabbed seven-time Supercast champion Jamie Winkup for a fascinating chat about his return to the driver's seat in that co-driver session, but also the Gen 3 development and Triple Eight's rather odd car shortage for 2023. Here it is. Yeah, so this is sort of your first weekend combining being, yeah. you know, the, the managing director and being a driver. How's it yeah. all gone? Um, it's, it's an easy one because I only had a, a half an hour session yeah. on Friday, so yeah. I'm not competing all weekend like I will be at Bathurst. But yeah. um, on those driver events, I'm non-performance anyway, yeah. Yeah. so it's not like I've got a performance role where there's a hole to fill. Yeah. Uh, I'm just overseeing 
um, as a general manager does in, in any business, you know what I mean, yeah. making sure that we're, uh, all, all factors are considered. Yeah. Um, so I'll still sort of somewhat continue to do that at Bath. If I, if I see something that needs needs fixing from a yeah. business point of view, I will. But um, I'll certainly make sure I'm dialed in as a, as a, as a racing driver because... Um, well, performance will be a lot more critical at Bathurst compared to a practice session at Sandown when, when you're actually at the Bathurst. No, definitely, down. definitely. But it, I can I can do it. Yeah. I can do it because of the strength of the management team here. Yeah. Like we've got all the all the all the man- commercial manager, we've got Dado as team manager, yeah. um, crew chief. Like everyone is absolutely been here for for years and yeah. on top of their game. So. Yeah. Um, as Roland used to say, you know, last year he's like, oh, I didn't have much to do at the track because everyone else was doing a, doing a fantastic job. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. did you feel in the car? I mean, obviously you did a few laps. I think you did a few laps at the tail on Ben test, so you yeah. had a bit of running, but nothing like what you would ordinarily yeah. have. Yeah. yeah. How was it getting back in? I, you feel okay, but it's not your car. Yeah. It's not my car anymore. Even yeah. though it's exactly the same chassis, um, Brock's changed the ergonomics quite a bit to yeah. suit himself. So I get in, and it's not my car. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, this I'm clearly moved or I'm, this I'm driving. Driving somebody else's car, which I'm trying to adapt to, um, and yeah, and yeah, it's funny if you do if you do something over and over and over again, you get good at it, you know. So when you don't do something over and over and over again, um, it's not as it's not as natural as it, as it probably should. So um, the, the co-driver roles, it's it's hard work. Like yeah. it's not just a matter of doing the easy bit. Um, you're in somebody else's car, and you haven't you haven't had. 15 races beforehand this year to, yeah. to get yourself up to speed. So um, I've I've witnessed that over the years, and now I'm in the in in the box seat where yeah you've got a, you've got a job to do to keep it clean. Um, obviously you want to make up as many spots as you can to hand the car over to the main driver in the best possible position, but um, you've got to be you, you've got to know your position at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Um, how's this weekend been for you guys? I guess this has been such a stronghold for Triple Eight this circuit. It was seven wins on the bounce coming here. Yep. The DJR guys have probably put up more of a fight than any of us really expected. Yep. Yep. Did, is it more than what you guys maybe expected, particularly on that single lap pace? Um, yes, yeah, no doubt. They're, they're doing a very, very good job. Um, we, well, end of yesterday, it was the first time this year that we went, oh, we, we, we didn't have the outright pace to win the race. Yeah. You know, so at any part of the race, so you know they uh, they've done a very very good job coming here and, and rolled out very very quick. Um, in saying that though, it doesn't it, it, it surprised me how quick they were, but in in other regards, it doesn't surprise me because literally ninety percent of our time has been in building the Gen Three car for yeah. for for the series. Yeah. So um, if you're not doing that and you're dedicating all your time in making your Gen yeah. Two go fast, then it's yeah, it, it makes sense. I guess the saviour's probably been that they've, they're in a somewhat similar boat because I, I don't know exactly what the split is on responsibilities between who's doing what for the prototype, but yep. they, they, have, they have at least got some level of involvement in the Mustang they're, Yeah, it's good. It's 100% good that they've got some level as yeah. far as the forward bodywork and that goes, yeah. but... Um, the the, uh, the truth is, and no one will deny it, that ninety percent of the work is getting for Gen Three is getting done by Triple Yeah. Um, and you know the ten, the other ten percent is shared by the rest of the field with probably, you know, five or six percent of that being DJR. You yeah. Know? So, um, so you feel like that has been a factor for you guys this year? Just 
that what that workload does in terms of yeah I don't want to I'm, I'm the only reason why I'm um, holding back and mentioning it is because I don't want to be crying poor and yeah. crying oh poor us when, when Shane's nearly 500 points clear in the championship yeah, yeah exactly well. that's not the situation when we're saying year. poor us yeah. but yeah. The re- I'm just saying it as a, the reality yeah. is we've yeah. spent all our time on Gen 3 yeah. uh, and a very small part of our time on making our Gen 2 cars go fast so yeah. it's no it's not a it's not a big surprise yeah. that we come here and yeah. and, and another team is slightly able to yeah, bridge that gap a bit. Yeah, yeah. talking about Gen 2 cars what's the plan for next year with Super 2 and that sort of stuff I mean you guys have got an interesting scenario in terms of the ownership of your Gen 2 cars yes are you going to have access to what you need if you want to continue a Super 2 program next year? Do you want to continue a Super 2 program next um, year? Yes, yes. We're, that's still yet to, to be con- to be determined. Yeah. Um, the big factor is going to be cars, of yeah. course. So um, our cars have been brought by, yeah. by Peter Zibris. Yeah. He's brought all three of them. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 unknown um, if 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 he'll. Lease them back, or we, we're not sure. We're not. We're not sure if we'll lease them back off yeah. him um, and continue to run Super Two, yeah. or or not. Yeah, or not run Super Could you, Two. Do you own the the the, the gen? Uh, sorry, the car, the future cars that you're running Super Two. No, we don't run. We don't own our okay. VFs either. Yeah. They're both. They've all our cars have been brought yeah. by collectors, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. And those two VFs. Um, they want to be maintained as a VS. Yeah, they want to be upgraded. Because they're ex, um, ex-SVG and an ex-Loungy car. Yeah. So, um, to a hundred grand upgrade to, to ZB yeah. wouldn't wouldn't be wouldn't be feasible because you have to convert it all back again. Yeah. And I don't think those owners would want to do that anyway. Yeah. So, um, so no, those those cars aren't available to us. Um, it would only be two of our three main cars. Yeah. Um, so that's the only option. You wouldn't look to buy cars from elsewhere or anything like oh, that. No, no, no. We we all have also looked at buying other chassis yeah. um, for for Super Two, but we haven't we haven't been able to find any yet. Yeah. Um, we there was a there was a good like a, a great option would have been the the crashed um, Lee Holdsworth car mm-hmm. but that that um, Team Eighteen have got. Yeah. Uh, we inspected that on Thursday. Yeah. And it's too far gone. Okay. It's it's um no it's a it's a write off. Yeah. So um, that option's out, and there's not really many options around. But we'll we'll continue to keep hunting. But if we can't find um, we can't find a solution, then we'll we'll, have, we'll be forced just to just to focus on main game next year. Stefan, it's a unique thing in supercars, and something a lot of people probably don't know. With the fact that you know a lot of teams don't actually own their cars. I mean, most punters wouldn't have a clue that the car that Shane Van Gisbergen drives doesn't belong to Triple Eight. It actually belongs to a rival team owner now in Peter Zibris. Um, it's the same at Grove Racing. Tickford has already sold Cam Waters' car, I think it is. Um, Walkinshaws often uh, auction off their cars while they're still in service. Like, it's it's kind of weird, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, and the situation with Gen 3 getting put back another year is kind of exaggerated a bit too, I think, Yeah. in terms of how many are already owned by third parties. Um, like Triple Eight sold those Red Bull cars to to Peter back in 2020 when they should mm-hmm. have only had one more season of racing, but yep. they sort of ended up having two, which is a fantastic value add if for, for you as a car owner. If Shane is adding all that success to the car's history as well, so and you look at some of the other examples. I mean, yeah, the Kellys retained those cars when they when they sold out to Groves. 
Um, the auctions you mentioned there too are interesting, which is sort of a model that Walkinshaws took from from Andretti's in the US, mm-hmm. I believe. Yep. So something like that, you can see it's it's good for cash flow for a race team to sell the cars pretty early. But again, that, that one kind of backfired because Chaz won Bathurst in that car, so yep. it's worth a lot more now than when they sold it. But um, yeah, we'll see what happens um, with this Super 2 situation. It it's really is amazing. I mean, the fact that... Um, Triple Eight, as Jamie said in that chat, like went and looked at that busted Team Eighteen yeah. VF, um, and Tickford has bought a GRM Commodore to turn into a Mustang. I mean, it's a it's a strange old world out there in uh, in the car business at the moment. Well, we have a resolution to the Trans Am Flexi Bodywork saga, Stefan. Uh, just to briefly explain what was going on here, uh, the GRM. Cars were spotted at Queensland Raceway recently with the rear windscreens of the cars basically being sucked in at speed, uh, which is thought to improve airflow to the rear wing. It turns out they were purposely leaving the struts that support the windscreen loose so that would happen. The technical rules have now been revised so that the struts have to be tight at all times. Um, There's also a change to the rules for mounting the front splitter, which I heard whispers was being used as a little performance advantage as well. Um, Stefan, like tightening these little things, it's a, you know, this category is really on the way up. It's doing really good things. It was a no brainer. They had to fix this, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny when you think like um, if a supercars team puts a little bit of tape where they shouldn't, there's a whole group of teams immediately sending emails and, and blueing about it. But here, like GRM tried on something that was just massively obvious. It was like a cartoon the way that roof was distorting. Yeah. So it was, it was always going to get pulled up, right? Like I find, I find it amazing that Nathan Hearn came out and spoke about it the way he did too. Like openly saying they were exploiting a loophole in the rules. Yeah, um, and I just think overall it was a bad look that it was GRM, considering they basically own the series through ARG. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm surprised they tried it on, but I'm not surprised that it's been uh, been closed off. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Uh, Ott Tannock held off Elfin Evans in Belgium to claim a third World Rally Championship win of the season. Joseph Newgarden won the IndyCar race at Gateway ahead of David Malukas and Scott McLaughlin. Will Power was sixth in that one. Kyle Larson moved Chase Elliott out of the way to win the NASCAR race at Watkins Glen. And Ducati rider Francesco Bagnaia took a third straight MotoGP win at the Red Bull Ring. He has closed the gap to series leader Fabio Quattararo, who finished second in Austria to 44 points. Jack Miller was third and Remy Gardner was 20th. Um, Stefan, this sprint race thing for MotoGP is an interesting one. So at every round next season, there will be a half distance, half points race on the Saturday. It won't alter the grid for the Grand Prix itself on the Sunday. I find this really weird. I mean, like a MotoGP race is a sprint race anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, supercars discovered this trick of racing on both Saturday and Sunday to maximise revenues like more than 20 years ago. Yeah. And uh, F1 finally caught on a couple of years back with their sprint races and now MotoGP's joining the party, but they're doing it this in an extreme way. Like F1's only like three sprint races a year, isn't it? Mm, And these dudes are doing like every round. So it's a a massive shake-up and it does feel like a little bit of, a cynical way to just increase the the amount of content, you know, and increase all the, all the revenue streams. But um, I'm glad they've gone and clarified uh, since the initial announcement that the sprint wins won't count in the record books the same way the Grand Prix wins do. It was yeah. suggested initially that they would, and that was um, 
something that would just distort all the history books. So uh, that's at least something that they've sort of walked that back a little bit. Yeah, I just find it strange. Like I'm not against trying new things or, you know, progression in the sport, but this just feels like it doesn't really achieve all that much. But anyway, all right. Castrol mailbag time. Uh, Zach Dow asks, if Super 3 should have a 107% qualifying rule to avoid backmarkers getting tangled up with the Super 2 front runners, which we have seen a bit of lately. Stefan, what's your take on this one? Yeah, I did touch base with the series about this, and there is a 107% rule in place based on being within 107 of the fastest Super 3 time in qualifying. Yep. But it's not really in force. They're very lenient on it. On Saturday, a couple of cars didn't make the cutoff, but the session was messy with a red flag and they were all granted permission to start rear of grid. And then on Sunday, they all made 107% anyway and, and the race turned out to be to be chaos for a few reasons. But it's it's a good question that's been asked um, because of how, how messy those races were on the weekend. Like I think you'd agree that we all like to see some action, but yep. having 34 cars at Sandown was just, too many and yeah. the driving standards was was poor in in both classes mm-hmm. so i would say that this is a situation that needs to be looked at but i think it'll look after itself next year like the blueprint cars will still be eligible to race in super three but i reckon a few of those gentlemen guys will stick to that standalone v8 touring car series which is which is coming back so i i think that'll be a little bit of a natural solution to it but certainly, if, if I was paying 80 grand a weekend to drive a front running Super 2 car and trying to launch my career, I'd be super frustrated with some of the red flags and safety car laps for Super 3 guys in those sessions. But by the same token, if I was a Super 3 driver out there, you know, trying to have some fun in my pride and joy, I'd not want to be barged into by some kamikaze kid either. And there's certainly a lot of dudes in Super 2 that uh, should wind it back a little bit because it's not uh, not just a Super 3 issue causing these uh, yellows and reds. No, no, it was a pretty wild weekend for the second tier, no doubt about that. All righty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. Who have you got this time around, Stefan? My Castrol Star of the Week is Will Power. Yes, his IndyCar Series lead was uh, slashed to three points at Gateway over the weekend with two rounds remaining, but his achievement in qualifying, a 67th career pole, tying Mario Andretti for the most in IndyCar history, that is just a really incredible achievement from an Aussie. So Will's my star of the week, and I just hope he can uh, bring home the championship. Yep, fingers crossed. He's an absolute legend, so good on Will. Um, I'm going to give mine to Betty Clemenko. Now, Thomas Randall and Castrol were in full fundraising mode over the Sandown weekend in support of the Peter Mack Victorian Adolescent and Young Cancer Service. That's obviously a cause that's very close to uh, to Thomas's heart, given his um, cancer battle back in 2020. Um, that's worthy of a star in itself, that, that the fact they were raising all this money. But um, Betty really came to the party with a generous $20,000 donation um, to the cause. It wasn't overly publicised. Um, it was just a really lovely thing to do. Um, Betty, she is she's an angel when it comes to her charity work. She tips a lot of money into stuff and it was a big reason why she got the appointment with the Order of Australia um, earlier this year. So that was a very cool thing to do. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast and we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Every lap in under a minute 
means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au.